Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Gordon S., Jackie A., and Nick W. On the show today, new guest is Taj Singh, President, CEO, and Director of Discovery Metals, a Canadian-based silver explorer and developer advancing the Cordero Project in northern Mexico. Discovery Metals is part of the Oxygen Group. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol DSV and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol DSVMF. Mr. Singh, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you for having us, Andrew. Good to be here. Well, Taj, your thoughts on the silver market here, uh, looking back to 2016 and now with the initial COVID deleveraging, is silver the place to be? You know, I, uh, I really believe silver is the place to be right now. Um, precious metals in general, um, I really like the, the prospects for precious metals, but in particular for, saving as a sa- uh, for silver as a safe haven. As we've seen in many cycles before, there's actually a really good uh, slide in our, in our current deck that's available on our website. But you'll see in many cycles before, silver lags, gold in a bull market. But when it goes, it really goes. And uh, in, in every almost every cycle I can think of, it's significantly outperformed gold. So we love gold and silver, but we really think it's really the time for silver to shine. And what is your position on the gold-silver ratio discussion? And does the historic ratio still hold a reasonable merit here? Yeah, so historically, if you look over the past 50 years, I think we're talking about a 60 to 1 ratio, and we're sitting at over 100 now. Uh, I really do think it'll move back towards the the historic ratio. You know, in the past couple decades, it kind of sat around 70, 80. And you have to think that even if, if gold stays put here, which I don't think it is, I think it's going. Uh, and it'll take silver along with it, but it'll take silver along with it, but also the ratio should get fixed up here. So honestly, even if, if gold stays where it is and we get to 80 to 1, you're talking about a $24, $25 silver price. So it's all the signs are pointing um, uh, pointing to, to silver really uh, shining here. Take us back for a moment, Taj, and talk about your background and what attracted you to the natural resource sector. I've been in it my uh, my whole career. Uh, I started uh, metallurgical and mining engineering uh, right out of right out of high school. I've always been into it. <laughs> I've always just been into uh, into into the sector and uh, really took to it in university. And right out of my undergrad, I uh, joined a uh, a job as an engineer, uh, what we call an engineer in training, and they put you in a, in a a management program where you get to go work at all the various operations. And I worked for, at that time, one of the largest nickel producers in the world, Inco, who was subsequently bought by Valet. But spent 10, over 10 years there, got to go across the world at various operations and really dig in and, and see um, what was going on there. And my kind of uh, my kind of love and interest and passion continued to grow um, for, the, for the sector. And then I got more and more involved in the corporate side of things. Then I went and became an analyst for two years at Macquarie because I had intimate knowledge of the of the sector, but also I was quite 
into finances and, and how the, the business situation of various companies. I was always into stocks. So it was kind of a great mix. I worked at Macquarie uh, Capital Markets in Toronto covering junior producers, junior gold and silver producers primarily, some developers as well. So kind of market cap of 100 to about 500 million. And, uh, you know, you learn a lot being on that side of things. On the capital market side, it's fantastic. You uh, you really get to to see how companies see their strategy through, how investors are thinking, things like that. And after that, I moved on to become VP Corporate Development and VP Engineering of Timmins Gold. We uh, I was there for close to six years. Uh, had a, we had a 130,000, 125,000, 30,000 ounce per year producer in Sonora, Mexico. So that's where my intro to Mexico began. So now over 10 years. But we built that mine, put it into production, uh, and it was a big operation, very big operation. And uh, it's now currently, uh, it's still producing. And uh, and then after that, about five, five and a half, six years with Timmins, um, the Oxygen Group was starting a, a Mexican vehicle, looking at early, uh, like early stage silver slash polymetallic um, projects. And uh, I joined them. And they so the inception of Discovery was kind of late 2017. That came on there. It was looked like a real interesting adventure to get in on and uh, had the experience in Mexico, knew the people, knew the networks and how things get done in Mexico. And here we are. Well, that's a good setup. And maybe speak just a little bit more to where you're at now, Taj. What brought you to Discovery Metals and the Oxygen Capital team? Can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, so basically it was kind of summer 2017. Is when the when the idea started. I think the due diligence for the for the assets that were in Mexico began earlier, and and Oxygen's always had a reputation for delivering shareholder value and getting great projects with lots of data and focusing on the data and sometimes looking at projects in an entirely different way to the previous operators. Discovery started with earlier stage projects that all had historical production, but they had never been drilled before, and so we continued to work on those. But at the same time, we had a very good access to capital markets, strong board and management. We had good access to, to capital markets and had a decent cash balance. Then it was a time when silver was, what, $12, $13. And there was a lot of assets out there that looked very interesting, but the companies were struggling to keep going. And uh, one asset that came across uh, across the desk was the asset called Cordero, owned by Levon Resources, which at one time had a $400 million market cap. They had spent about $50 million on the property. and in its time and its heyday, kind of 2011, 2012, it's fantastic discovery, but it was being, it was being kind of scoped uh, by Levon as a huge, huge Penasquito-style project, big project in it, massive leverage to silver, and silver was doing quite well at that time. And then afterward, as we know, it was a, it was a bit of a quite a bit of a lull for silver for many years. But we looked at it and we said, is there a project there? We're not going to wait for silver to get to 25. Silver sitting here at 1415. Is there a project there that works at a reasonable kind of silver price? Because within this billion and a half ounces of silver equivalent, one of the world's largest silver resources, is there a project there that that can work at 17 or 18? That is a very good size project, good grade, good margin. But then you've also got all the optionality if and when silver takes a run. And so we found that yes, there was a project there that worked at 17 or 18. We're spending quite a bit of time on it. And then here we are. So since then, silver's moved very strongly. We've been able to attract some very key investors. Uh, we've got a very healthy cash balance. We've been drilling, and just things look, uh, you know, really well, uh, really well set up for success. 
And Taj, talk about just for a moment, you know, Mark, the team at Oxygen, the group, the sister companies, the management teams of the sister companies, the technical expertise across the group, pretty much set up like uh, it's all in-house. I mean, you have everything available. It's all in-house. And I suspect with the different folks on the discovery board and management team that you guys really just are able to do everything in-house and really draw from each individual's expertise. Just speak to that and, and how's working with Marco Day? Well, basically the auction group is, it's, it's had serial success. Uh, you know, sold six companies or so in the past decade, crystallized huge amounts of value for shareholders. And that's the, the, the reason the, their ability to be able to go raise capital is because of the success they delivered, the shareholder value they've returned. And people will keep coming back in because they know that assets they pick, companies that they back, they're going to move. Um, and it's, it's honestly, there's a few, there's a few well-known groups out there. And, and, but Oxygen is, you know, I just joined them in, in 2017 with Discovery Year, but they've had an amazing reputation way before that. And they've continued to have fantastic performance. Liberty, Pure Gold, Discovery, um, Sun Metals, there's the four active companies. It's, you know, it truly is fantastic asset, access to capital markets, laser focused on data, uh, just a very strong kind of in-house um, backing in terms of technical credibility. It's been fantastic. And working with Mark, I mean, Mark is, is one of the most successful people in the industry period. And it's been amazing to uh, to work with him daily and, and really learn so much from him because he's done it before. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, honestly a huge part of the success of Discovery is uh, this, this the Oxygen Group backing. Well, let's get into Discovery. Uh, first, give us a quick overview. And then also, I want you just to include the capital structure, the cash on hand and the key shareholders. Discovery is our near-term focus is going to be on our Cordero asset, our flagship asset. And again, as I mentioned, we think we can drastically improve the economics of Cordero by optimizing for the current metals price environment through drilling and resource modeling and engineering. You know, within the over billion ton open pit project, we believe there's a substantial high grade core, which can form the basis of a high margin project at current silver prices. And that high grade project could be standalone now, or it could be a starter to an expanded, much larger project that offers excellent leverage to silver price. And discovery, the two things if you want to remember about discovery are leverage to silver, period. There's no other name out there. I mean, first of all, the silver universe has maybe 10 to 15 names in it. It's already limited as it is in terms of producers and developers. Um, but the leverage from going from 17 to 20 and then 20, 25, there's no one that's got it, mainly because of the sheer size of our system. Um, but also, so leverage is one thing and opportunity is the other thing. We've funded now. We can aggressively advance this project and really uh, show it for what it is, the world-class asset we believe it is. Uh, in terms of capital structure, you know, we just uh, carried out a financing last week. But prior to that, we had 210 million shares outstanding. We had a cash balance of about $24 million to start the year. Market cap was kind of hovering around $100 million. Uh, key shareholders. Eric Sprott, who came in last year, who's been, who's been a very fantastic and supportive uh, shareholder, owns about 21% prior to this last raise, but after this raise, we'll go up to about 24%. And our cash balance after this raise will be roughly uh, over $40 million, $42, $43 million. So we're, we're very well uh, backed uh, to aggressively advance Cordero and, uh, and keep pushing ahead. 
And speak to that for just a moment, that kind of cash balance for this kind of company, where do you see that that cash balance will carry you guys on this project? I mean, is this sufficient funding to get you guys through, you know, the next 18 months? What's it look like there? Uh, basically, we had about $20 million before this race. So, you know, you might say, why did you even need to do it? And it's it's the fact that large shareholders who were very supportive wanted us who were very supportive wanted us to get more aggressive with advancing the project and with silver prices you know on only a few weeks ago at 12 13 we thought it's a good idea to be prudent and and to be in a position to have big programs for at least two years so we're covered for more than two years and, and to be honest with this kind of cash balance discovery is really essentially covered to construction to be honest we we plan to put out a, a brand new resource in pea next year and then move on to a PFS or FS the year after, we're now covered. <laughs> By covered, we can really drill and drill and drill. This property is 35,000 hectares. The resource area takes up less than 1,000, so very little of it has been really explored. And there's already significant prospectivity of brand new targets on the property that have really not been explored at all. So honestly, if we've got Cordero, a billion and a half ounces of silver equivalent, maybe there's another one. There's a satellite deposit. There's a bunch of work that can be done that now we are funded to do. And the fact that there is a billion and a half ounces sitting right there in the center of the property gives you kind of high probability or high feeling that there might be something else out there nearby. With a system that big, there's got to be something else nearby. So in addition to be able to advance our main project, we think the regional and kind of new discovery potential is very, very significant as well. How about, just let's talk price levels for a moment, uh, management and insiders. Can you just kind of talk about the prior rounds of financing and can you speak to the approximate levels that management and insiders own their shares? So we did our original financing when the company started at 50 cents. As we went on, you know, it was a tough time. There was, when we started the, the company, there was some zinc price was probably a dollar fifty even. It was a really good time for zinc. So we were able to raise it a little bit higher price, but zinc came down, silver came down. We came at about the 30 cent level. As we kept pushing away, we maintained a good cash balance, and that's how we were able to then go acquire Levon and Cordero. So we did the next financing. So the, the first one we did was 50 cents. Then we did a financing last summer, right when we acquired Levon, a $9 million raise where essentially it was almost entirely all to Mr. Eric Sprott. That was, a, about, that was at 23 cents. And then uh, subsequent to that, once we closed the deal and started drilling, we actually went to Europe to kind of just do a roadshow, and there was significant, significant support and interest from shareholders in Europe, and we were able to raise then uh, another $19 million at $0.45. Cents. So we kept pushing through. Share price was doing well. Every three, four weeks, uh, we'd be putting out some very, very stellar drill results. And our thesis that there was this high-grade core that was sizable, that had very good margin, was coming to light, and silver price was, was hanging in pretty well. We were funded essentially at that point for at least 18 months or so. And then obviously COVID came, silver price dropped, our share price dropped down into like the high 20s for a few days, low 30s, but then kind of came back to 40 and stayed well. And then obviously silver started moving, moving pretty nicely. And we were able to do this last race at 55 cents. And uh, that's just for $25 million. It really was essentially a rights offering to our very large supportive institutional shareholders in North America and Europe. And again, it's load up the treasury and go get aggressive. New discoveries show what this project really has because it is a world-class asset. 
Well, I'd, I'd wish the uh, the share price had stayed a little bit lower in the high 20s uh, for a little bit longer, Taj, but it responded quite quickly again. So good for you and, and good job on the capital raise uh, back up at, uh, you know, at or near the highs in that area. So that's that's great. Speak to the key people on the management team, Taj. Who are you working with? Yeah, so say in addition to myself, we have our, our, our CFO, Andreas Labbe. Uh, Andreas was at Tahoe previous to this. He also worked at Gold Corp. He's got about 16, 17 years of experience in the mining sector, fluent in Spanish, uh, lived actually in Peru when he worked with Tahoe. Uh, he's fantastic, not only just dealing with the corporate governance, administrative and financial functions, but very, uh, very much an, uh, an operations-oriented uh, kind of guy. Worked at a bunch of sites over his, over his career, and we also worked together at Timmins Gold for a few years, so we know how to work together. Our VP exploration is Gernot Wolber, who comes from uh, from Cisco. He was uh, there for six, seven years. Um, and Oban, Breval, and Cisco Mining, uh, and was very active there as their, as their VPX. Um, and was an important part of the reason that windfall assets are now sitting in the Cisco mining and the initial work on that and the discovery of a new zone. So he's very active there, but he's also worked in Nevada uh, with Great Bays and Gold, also in South Africa with Great Bays and Gold. He's also worked, he was uh, one of the lead technical people at the Pebble Project too, so he's had significant experience there. Um, so he's got, you know, 35 plus years uh, of experience on the ground uh, in exploration work. Uh, and then our VP corporate development is Forbes Gemmel. He joined the team in January, and Forbes came to us as from Guyana Goldfields, where he was VP corporate development. And he, um, yeah, he was very active at, at, at Guyana in terms of improving uh, the, the project there. And he was on site quite a bit, very actively involved in the technical uh, technical work and the improvements they made there. And prior to that, he ran a uh, company in Brazil, a CEO that was sold to an Australian company, a gold exploration company. So that was for a few years. And prior to that, he was an analyst at Raging. So very uh, strong and, and varied background. And prior to that, he worked on the buy side in his early years. Uh, prior to being an analyst at Raymond James, he was uh, on the buy side. So again, uh, almost all of his career in the resource sector. So those are four key guys in the management team uh, that pushed through. We also have our country manager who, who worked with me at Timmins Gold for six years. He was a uh, kind of chief geologist slash general manager at the San Francisco Gold Mine. His name's Roman Solis, uh, and he's in country, lives in, in Hermosillo, Sonora, and he's been uh, his networks and ability to get things done, and also his you know a very strong geologist as well. On top of all that. Uh, has been has been amazing. So very lean team, but uh, very experienced and, and able to get stuff done in Mexico. Well, let's talk about the cornerstone asset, Cordero. Can you just take us back for the audience who may be not familiar uh, with the project? Can you talk about the history of the project, including the prior owner, and what has held this project back, and why will Discovery Metals be the group to advance this to eventually become a mine? Mining has been happening at Cordero for decades. A very small kind of artisanal mining on the on the greater Cordero property package that we now have. Um, but the Cordero main discovery happened by Lavon Resources, 2009 roughly. I think their first hit was something like 150 meters of 150 gram per ton silver equivalent. It was that was their main discovery. It was the fifth hole in that in the in what we now know as the resource area. After that, almost every other hole, every hole they were hitting was was very uh, a very strong hole. They were able to raise money. They were able to spend close to, like I said, $45, 50000000 dollars over say the next three four years, 
uh, and they really were scoping this project again for a Penasquito style of project. At that time, that that was you know what they were looking for, and it had the size and the system was strong enough to make that a reality. And so they scoped it. They put a PEA out in 20. Their first one was 2013. It had a great NPV, decent IRR. It was high capex again because it's a big, big project. But you're talking about an MPV of close to seven hundred million dollars IRR, and this is all at twenty dollars silver IRR of about a little under twenty percent. And again, they had a four hundred million market cap, and, and like I mentioned, we're just sitting here at a hundred. They kept working on it, and and obviously silver kind of fell out of bed a bit. So, but there's there's their kind of their scope and their plan for Cordero was it's a big, huge system, Penasquito style, and that's what it is. And we'll kind of just shelf it until silver comes back. And of course, uh, silver stayed stayed low for uh, several years here. So basically, Levon, it got to kind of early 2019. Levon had not done much work on the property for a couple of years. In the years preceding, they had done some drilling, upgrading the resource area. All the work was focused on the resource area. Again, as I mentioned, there, were, there was work done regionally to the main area that looked very interesting, but really the focus was the resource area. And they wanted to maintain some value. They didn't have a lot of extra money to do brand new drilling on new discoveries. So they focused on that, shelved the project somewhat. And then early 2019, we'd started looking at the project. We looked at a, a variety of projects. And this one looked extremely interesting. Marco D knew the Levon team quite well. He actually was an early investor in the discovery days of Cordero. Uh, in 2009, when, when Mark was, was running uh, Frontier, they actually invested into Levon. So he knew them from a while ago. And we began a, a discussion on putting the two companies together. We did our work and our due diligence. And they saw what the auction group could bring to this. They also saw our early stage properties, which they liked very, very much. And it made sense, a good fit to put these two together. And and we, we had the capital and the ability to go get more capital to keep exploring Cordero. But our main, main thesis was we're not going to wait for silver to get to 22. We want to make it work at 17 or 18. So is there a project there that works? And again, as I mentioned, there is. There's a core that we really found in our due diligence that would work, that would have high margin, that would have a good mine life. It could be its own project on its own. And <laughs> the rest would be kind of just upside and gravy. And that's exactly what we said was going to be there. And as soon as we started drilling in September 2019, the, the deal closed in August 2019. But we started drilling in September. And ever, ever since that, uh, every every few weeks when we're putting out results, you you can see that the, the thesis is, is coming intact, is that there's a high-grade core that's a lot bigger than was originally thought. And this project was actually a high-grade project. It got painted with a brush of being a low-grade, big-tonnage project which it can be, but there's also a very sizable high-grade core. So that's what we've been focusing on. Can you just speak to how much you guys paid for Cordero, just for the audience who may not know? We paid, at the time the deal was announced, it was equivalent to about $10 million of Discovery shares. By the time the deal closed, we were it was almost double that. Um, the share prices of both companies reacted quite well. Silver was moving up, and then a lot of people started seeing, oh, this thing looks like it actually might have some legs. So it moved up pretty considerably during, prior to the deal closing, but after announcement. So, yeah, and still fairly inexpensive. I think the MDNA had it at around 26 million, if I have my stuff right, but it's pretty dang cheap. Exactly. Yeah. So when we announced it was say 10 to 12 million, and then by the time we closed, it was about double that, or exactly right, 25, 26 million dollars. So still, considering it was 50 or 60 million dollars spent on that property, we thought it was cheap, and we knew what it could be. I think it's it's all coming to fruition now. And Taj, tell us about the Levon PEA, 
which I believe was done in 2018. How is this project scope and size now being optimized to improve the economics? And will management be confident enough after this new PEA that you're working on to move straight to feasibility? So the Levon PEA, um, they were putting out one almost every year, year and a half as they updated and kept drilling. Another very important thing Levon did is they had a, a piece, a hectridge, which was historically mined by artisanals, but they were not letting go of it. Uh, meaning they, you know, Levon, it was an important part. It was really right near the core of the resource area in 20, late 2016. Finally, they were able to strike a deal, but it took two, three years and they, they paid quite a bit of money um, in terms of if you dollars per, uh, per hectare. It was a small piece of land, but they paid, you know, two, three million dollars for it cash. But it completely, um, completely made the land package just, just perfected it. And you know, the, the Levon story at that time was not getting much credit, but it was a fantastic move by management at that time to do that. So, anyways, they were putting out PEAs. The last PEA in 2018, they put out again, as I mentioned, contemplated a huge resource. We're talking over a billion tons. What went to the economic part of that is they took out about 420 million tons out of that billion. The average grade was kind of about 45, 50 gram per ton silver equivalent, so relatively low, very low strip ratio, less than one to one, so almost like 0.9. And it was a decent project, as I mentioned. It was a $20 silver. You're talking about a $700 million NPV. CapEx was over $500 million, which is a big bite to chew. And, you know, it was a decent project. It's got many favorable characteristics, Cordero. Metallurgy is fantastic. They did quite a bit of met work. We will continue to do more, but metallurgy was fantastic. Infrastructure was amazing right off a, a major highway, powers there, waters there. It had all the, it ticked all the boxes there. Um, good, so very good social situation. The fact it's in Chihuahua, Chihuahua was a mining, very mining centric state. All of the things were there, but the high capex and the lower IRR and the fact that it kind of needed at least a $20 silver price was kind of, okay, it kind of, people forgot about it. So again, as we went in, our thought is, you know, A is their high grade core there. And can you stage it? So you're looking at now a project where, for example, instead of, I should have mentioned the, the PA contemplated 40,000 ton per day. We're now thinking, well, maybe you started 10,000 ton per day. So your CapEx is sub 200 million, 150 million. But just that project alone, we're really striving for that NPV to be substantially more than the capex alone just for that standalone part then as capex is paid back and and or if silver price runs you can start expanding the project because capex has now been paid you can get, the project can get much larger so you can go from 10 to 20,000 ton per day now you're you're pushing out close to 20 million ounces of silver equivalent a year it's one of the larger silver projects out there that way you've staged capex it's a cash management kind of thing it helps improve your npb to capex ratio your irr You've got a real project now that can be built. And because of the favorable geometry of the deposit, it's, it's fantastic. There's a high-grade starter at surface. <laughs> you would have started there anyway, and then the rest of it is not sterilized at all. You just keep pushing back the pit, and you get into more and more ore and more and more ore. Uh, it's it's very favorable for a, sta a staged kind of approach. Just talk a little bit more about that. With 10,000 tons per day, does the production profile at that figure, does it line up okay with the economics? Are you guys comfortable looking at, at that level of project given the high grades that you're focused on 
and speak to with the updated PEA that's that you guys are working on. Can you speak to where you guys are targeting to see your all-in costs come in, including the lead, zinc, and gold credits? Okay, so so basically the economics of the 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 project we're now contemplating they stack up very well, and that the the, the big part of it is, is Levon used a 15 gram per ton silver equivalent cutoff. We're looking at a 50 gram per ton cutoff. At a 50 gram per ton cutoff, you're looking at roughly, including indicated and inferred, you're a couple hundred million tons of about a hundred gram per ton silver equivalent, maybe a little more. That's what we're really focusing on. The rest of the the rest of the uh, the metal that's outside of that. So we can get to it if silver goes, and, and if silver gets to 25, 30, this thing becomes bigger. Uh, but there's really, again, a very nice way to start this project, and it's still sizable and meaningful um, in that in that 50 gram per ten cutoff case. So we're going to be focusing our efforts on that, and we, you know, this thing at 10,000 ton per day in the grades we're contemplating, see 100, 110 gram per ton strip ratio is decent. We're going to continue to work on it. We think we can actually even maybe bring it down with the drilling we're doing because there's quite a bit of spacing as you go northeast. The drill density cuts down a lot, and then we're noticing when we're drilling, boom, we're hitting ore that was previously identified as waste. So your strip comes down, and your grade's actually coming up. So that's what we're going to focus on: a kind of a hundred gram per ton, a little bit more than hundred gram per ton open pit. You know what the tonnage in the mine life looks like. We'll see. Um, that's all going to come to light as we continue our phase one drill program. But that 10,000 ton per day, you're talking about 8 to 10 million ounces of silver equivalent a year. That stacks up with <laughs> most major silver producers' top mines, kind of all in sustaining. You talked about, if you look at cash costs kind of by silver equivalent, you're talking about what we're seeing in the early days and what Levon showed is about $10, $11. We think we can improve upon that. There's still a lot of work to be done, drilling, resource modeling, mine planning, even process engineering. We think there's a lot of ways we can save some money you know, material amounts of money with, with you know, significant changes to the flow sheet. So that's kind of the direction we're headed in. But long story short, our key numbers are NPV to CapEx ratio greater than one to one, IRR, mid to high 20s. Uh, those are the things we're going to really focus on. And the fact that this has to be manageable from a CapEx point of view. You can't have a big ticket CapEx right up front. So those are our, our key focus points. Okay, on the capex, can you just speak to well first the the all in costs somewhere around today's silver prices? Yeah, for silver equivalent cash costs, we're internally targeting about ten dollars or lower um, silver equivalent cash costs, and for all in sustaining costs per silver equivalent ounce, we're targeting somewhere around the eleven twelve dollar range. So. Even the all-in sustaining cost is materially lower than uh, today's silver price. Okay, and the the capex sub two hundred million, and what's the internal rate of return you guys are targeting? We'd like to get into the twenties for sure at current silver price. I think for people to take take real notice of something, you'd have to get into the twenties there. Well, let's talk about uh, covered the capex here. So let's talk timeline for advancing. How long to finalize studies, talk about the permitting process, how long that would take, and talk about the construction process under this new optimized smaller footprint. Can you just kind of cover us uh, timeline? How many years are we talking here? So it's, I mean, it's a, way, it's a ways off still, and we still have to determine if you can go right from a PEA to an FS. I mean, we are, we're going to strive for making our, P, our PEA to a PFS quality. That's important to us. We're all we're very technically oriented and the quality and kind of confidence, the data and robustness 
of the PEA, we want to be very strong and defendable. So basically, the, the kind of key milestones here are putting out a resource by, say, this time next year, or maybe even a little earlier. Now we can accelerate things. Brand new resource. Again, as I mentioned, uh, this project is com completely going to be a new project compared to what it was before. Uh, we're doing substantial amount of drilling. Brand new resource kind of this time next year. Subsequent to that, two to three months after PEA, and then move forward and planning our next drilling um, for the PFS and onwards. And again, we'll make the decision at that time whether we go right to an FS or, or go with the PFS prior to the, to the FS. Say the next study is done the year after that, and that would take, say, about a year. So you're talking about at least two, two and a half years uh, before a construction decision. Maybe it can be accelerated now with the higher balance we have, but the permitting situation also in Mexico is very clear and transparent. It's one of the, I think, one of the top countries in kind of North America, Latin America for, for getting stuff done in terms of permitting. It's about a year. So once once the, at the PEA, we kind of know what the footprint of this thing will look like, what are the throughputs, things like that. We'll start advancing that. It takes about a year or so to get construction permits. We've got uh, time and we will we'll get that all uh, set up well in advance. And so we're talking with construction maybe 2024, maybe a little earlier than that. But yeah, if if you're being uh, if you're being a little um, if you're being conservative with timelines, yeah. And then again with with the cash balance and depending how things go, things can be accelerated. We now have the ability to accelerate things. Tell us a little bit more about Chihuahua State, Mexico, that particular jurisdiction compared to the others. How comfortable are you guys with this state versus some of the other states you've operated in? Chihuahua is, is probably one of the top mining states in terms of government's views on mining, ability to get stuff done, ability to source skilled labor. Uh, it's, it's a mining state. The, the major gold silver belt of Mexico runs right through Chihuahua. Fantastic in terms of infrastructure, logistics, specific to Cordero. Uh, it's not out in some very wet areas or in some mountainous areas, which other projects I've dealt with have been. It's it's perfect for an open pit, and and government's very uh, very mining centric. The state government, other states that we do like is obviously most of the north and the northwest. We like like Sonora, Durango. Those are all great states. There's a few you know a few states as you get into the south that get a little bit you know a little bit more cautious about, but uh, the pretty well known mining states of of Sonora. Chihuahua, Durango, Zacatecas, those are those are states uh, we do like. And talk about the local community just around the project. Uh, you know, the infrastructures there are very close by. How's the local community support for the project and everything good on that front? So there's two things. One is there's not a lot of people around. And despite it being off a major highway, it's actually quite remote, which is which is good in that it, it doesn't really affect many people. Um, but the people who do live in the towns nearby are extremely supportive of mining in general, but very supportive of Cordero uh, in its heyday. Like I said, uh, the, the previous operators created in a fantastic culture um, in terms of, of people being just really engaged and into the project and making sure it's an important thing socially to make everyone, you know, get everyone on the same page. Uh, and we were luckily we inherited a great relationship that Levon built uh, with the people nearby. And again, mining in Mexico, right? The largest silver producing country in the world. Mining's in their blood. They love mining. Uh, kids uh, grow up thinking they're going to be in mining. And they, it's just, it's part of the culture. And uh, it's, it's, it's great to deal with kind of communities um, and a situation like that. We're in a very uh, favorable position with that. Tell us a little bit more about the other projects that Discovery has. Can you just kind of overview those for us? 
Yeah, I will. So that's in the the state nearby to us, called Coahuila. Again, another state. I, I missed it when I talked about it. A state that's it's in the north, just below Texas, um, the state. And we uh, we like working there as well. But we've got three key other properties there, a multitude of other earlier stage ones, but three key ones that are kind of ready for drilling, if you will, technically. The Puerto Rico project, the Minerva project, and the Monclover project, all in Coahuila. And they've all been had past production on them. Uh, by artisanals, very, very high-grade direct shipping ore, silver, zinc, lead, uh, sometimes some gold, sometimes some copper, but primarily silver, zinc, lead. The key one of those that kind of was at the beginning of Discovery, the flagship beginning project of Discovery was Puerto Rico, and that has produced anecdotally over a million tons of average grade of 40% zinc, about three, 400 silver, very, very high-grade direct shipping ore that was mined by artisanals, pick and axe, <laughs> and then shipped down right to the smelters. And all of these properties I mentioned, including the one in Puerto Rico, have never been drilled. Um, these guys were just mining visually, <laughs> if you will, um, because it's so, so rich, the, the level of mineralization. And so we, we've got Minerva and Monclover ready to drill, drill permitted. We've got kind of a 1,500-meter program for each of them kind of planned. We're just trying to We've just been really busy with Cordero and working on that, but we, you know, we will be we will be looking into when we're going to be drilling Minerva Monclova. Puerto Rico is in the final stage of its permitting process. It sits on the buffer zone of a nature reserve, so not within it. It's in the buffer zone, and because of that, the permitting process, even to drill, is extended. It takes you know year, eighteen months, and obviously with the new government coming in, and obviously now COVID slowed down. There's been delays uh, for everything, not just permitting, but everything. Uh, that that's a governmental process and across all sectors. So we're we're in the final stages there. Um, we hope to get that uh, permitted and then get going on that. And that's a that's a CRD deposit, a carbon replacement deposit. All of these ones are very very high grade, low tonnage. So a little bit different than Cordero, but uh, similar mineralization and not too far from it. It's just in the neighboring state. Okay, talk a little bit more about what your guys's plans are for these other non-core assets. You know, we've seen Liberty uh, monetize non-core assets as they focus in on really two main assets, Black Pine and Gold Strike. Speak to what you guys are going to do here. Is the plan to advance these a little bit, maybe have some discovery action? Is there a goal to monetize these and then focus on Cordero? What's the plan? The focus really is Cordero. If, you know, when Puerto Rico does get permitted, it is, it's a big project. It could be its own project on its own for a company, which is what it originally was intended to be. Uh, it has huge potential in terms of grade, but even the size of the system, I didn't talk about that, but it's an you know, 11, 12 kilometer strike that's just never really been explored. Maybe 500 meters out of the 11, 12 kilometer fold thrust corridor has been explored. So super, super prospectivity on Puerto Rico in terms of size. Um, I, I I think, you know, we haven't thought about it yet. It hasn't been permitted. We'll get to it when we think about it. But um, these these three projects, they could be drilled by us. And then our focus will be Cordero. Though. So if there's something interesting where it looks like someone else can advance it, uh, we stay exposed to the projects. We could consider something like that. And alternatively, we're looking at, you know, we could just drill it. We could do a first stage drill test of the properties and see where we go from there. So we're kind of in the middle of thinking about things. The fact that it's close, the fact that we could use the same teams, the fact that they're not really costing us any, you know, the, the claims taxes for these are, are, are inconsequential. 
you know, that all helps. But I think we will we'll be making a decision pretty soon over the next few months on, on how to proceed. Okay. And you guys do, these drill programs are planned to go ahead this year, except for the one that's waiting for permits. Yeah, they're, the the drill programs are planned. When we're going to do them, um, we're not we're not certain yet, but they are ready. We've already went out and gotten quotes from various drill contractors. We know exactly where the holes are going. It's just a matter of okay, let's do them now. Now that we've got some extra, the treasury loaded up a bit, um, it might make sense to to get going. The focus really is Cordero. That's the lowest hanging fruit, most effective use of of exploration dollars. Yes, absolutely agreed. And Taj, what is the preferred outcome for discovery? So talking, you know, end game strategy, exit strategy, takeover or production scenario? I think you have to be kind of open to them all. As you'll see, even within the oxygen group, a lot of times they've 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 sold it prior to production. And in the case with true gold and now with, with pure gold, you can take it to production. We have all the expertise in-house, obviously, to do either. We've got my resource resource developers, you know, project optimizers, and then mine builders. We've got it all kind of in-house. Probably it makes sense for, for anyone who knows the sector that the most, you know, the, the way to crystallize value probably the quickest and most effectively and efficiently is to sell prior to production. Show the project for what it's worth, really build up a good case, an economic case on it. And we truly believe Cordero is something, it will be a mine. We truly believe that for a mid-tier or major producer at some point. Now, if we got to the position where we had to build it, could we build it? Could we raise the money and build it? Yes. The answer is yes. I really think, especially if silver takes a run, it's going to be a target. Absolutely. I think it's a good position that you guys are in. And when we look out at the world of silver developers and explorers, why should investors pay attention to a developer over, say, a mid-tier or larger silver producer? In various people's portfolios, I think you should have a bit of everything. But it's been shown whenever there's a bull market, and especially in the situation we're in, when there's not many assets out there, big development stage assets, the developers outperform in a bull market, the producers. The, the, the producers immediately outperform because obviously the earnings improve, the free cash flow, things like that. But developers and the fact that you've now, you have this takeout kind of premium in there, that they, they do outperform in kind of these market situations. Specific to Cordero is simply the fact of there's not many projects like Cordero. It's got huge, huge size, unparalleled optionality and leverage. There's just not many out there like it, especially in the in the silver space. But even metals in general, there's there's not many like it. But especially in the silver space, there's not many like it. And how are you taking advantage, Taj, personally? How are you taking advantage of silver? And is Discovery your only silver equity holding? <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely uh, management management insiders and board before this last financing own close to 15%. We've all got skin in the game. We all were in on the original financing and even subsequent finances, but we're all in at, at levels around here. We're very bullish on discovery, very bullish on silver and gold. I'm personally, um, you know, my life's pretty exposed to <laughs> exposed to mining as it is. So my, I've got a little bit of my personal money that I put into various equities, but the vast majority of it is, is in discovery. And is there any other, for investors, you know, any points or tips uh, for what you might do or things that work for you as far as how to approach silver equity investing? Is there any other companies that you like or anything that other that investors should pay attention to or maybe another management team they should pay attention to? There, there's a, there's some interesting names out there. There's a lot of good names, but really the the way I kind of think of things is is you need two the two M's I call them, but margin and mine life. If if an asset has those two things, 
And then on top of that is another M, the management. is Has there been, has the management team done it before? And because if they've done it before, especially multiple times, they're probably going to do it again. <laughs> so if the asset's got margin in my life, and it's got a good management team. You, you, you're gonna be, you're gonna be fine. That's generally what I found. Okay. Well, we'll call it 3M. Let's go 3M then. <laughs> <laughs> well, for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening, considering silver and considering discovery as a potential primary vehicle, what would you say to them at this stage and at current discovery price levels? Why should they consider discovery metals, Taj? Basically, uh, and right, I think uh, I've said it before, but there's no other name that's got the leverage we've got. So if you believe silver is going to 20, there's no other name that's gonna that's gonna torque as strong as as, as Discovery can. And the fact that it's it's got a management team again that's done it before, uh, that has significant experience in in the sector and and significant experience in country. There's no really other asset that's got the leverage we've got, and now being so well funded and backed by strong institutional investors, we're really in a, in a perfect position to, to capitalize from this bull market. If you think silver's going to 10 or 11, then <laughs> silver's probably not for you. And, but if you really think that there's a case for silver getting even to 20, there's not really any names that have the torque that we have, period, and, and our ability to get things done. Um, we've, we've shown since we've uh, gotten our, our acquisition of Levon done, everything we've said, we've done. And we, will, we think we're going to continue to do that. It's a very simple, clean story, to be honest. It's one key asset that we have to execute on. If we execute on it, boom, you're going to have a project that's going to work, that's going to be in demand. A lot of people are going to look at. With the backdrop of a rising silver price, all the better. Yes, and I'm trying to find a comparison. I'm thinking right here, trying to see if I can come up with a comparison, and there's nothing coming to mind, and just because there probably isn't a lot of options. So certainly a, a very compelling situation, and if silver goes to $10, I think that that is a, a fantastic opportunity to accumulate. So I, I guess I'm not necessarily opposed to seeing a lower silver price for a time. <laughs> but Actually, uh, that's a fantastic point. It's, we're cashed up now. So we're not really worried about day-to-day share price. And if silver did dip, it'd be a fantastic opportunity to go acquire, uh, even in for us in terms of acquiring potentially assets, but for, for investors to go acquire good stocks. Yes, absolutely. And the best way for investors to reach out to the company? It'll be, um, the, the best is through, through email at info at dsvmetals.com. That's available on our website, which is dsvmetals.com. So our ticker, metals.com, and then you go to the contact page and you'll see all the information there. We pride ourselves on being regularly in touch with all of our investors, uh, regardless of size. Taj, thanks for taking the time to introduce us to Discovery Metals. Uh, good luck on advancing the Cordero project, and uh, we're looking forward to watching progress. Fantastic. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much.